Hello, hello. Welcome to Confidence Through Cabaret, the podcast. We are talking all things confidence. Uh, you should know that if you are hearing this on a podcast platform, you can also see the video on Vodcast. Check out Confidence Through Cabaret, the Vodcast playlist, and you'll be able to see my guest and I uh, in video form. If you are here on YouTube, please like and subscribe and know that you can find the episode anywhere you get your podcasts. Just search Confidence Through Cabaret and you'll be able to hear the audio version. So if you've been around for a little while, you'll know that Confidence Through Cabaret is is all about using cabaret as an analogy. You know, if you were going on a stage, you would not hide from your spotlight. You would step into it. You would own your space. You would show up expansively and unapologetically, and you would share your message and raise your voice to whatever it is that you desire. And Today's guest is just going to be such an inspiring conversation. We are talking generally uh, as a start starting point about leadership. So let me tell you a little bit about my guest today. She's a recovering HR executive. Those are her words, not mine. Uh, she's been on an executive team with three companies in her 30-year career. She's worked with Fortune 100 companies, nonprofits, and small businesses alike. So if you have a small business or you're working for a, a, a someone else's business, or you want to start your own business, then stay tuned. So my guest's expertise is as an internal and external consultant to the C-suite where she focuses on employee engagement, change management, and we are all about change all the time. We can't avoid it. Uh, and also leadership development, which if you've been around for a little while, you know, is my nearest and dearest to my heart. It's where it's where my career is as well. So we've got a really exciting conversation to uh, to have today. So while my guests' uh, corporate careers have allowed them and their husband to live in a variety of states in the US, they've also, they're, they're coming to me live today from Arizona, where they've been for 20 years now. Uh, my guest has an MBA and was double certified as an HR professional. So, you know, it's it's fantastic if you have questions or comments or you want to ask anything, I will post my guest's uh, details in the comments. But And so you're more than welcome to get in touch. In my guest's free time, they are an oil painter and love to spoil their granddaughter, Lila. I love that. Please join me in welcoming our guest today, the wonderful Karen Loftus. Well, hello. hello. Hi, how are you? I'm so well, thank you. How are you? I am so good. Thank you for having me. It is such a pleasure to have you. Uh, you know, I uh, I talk a lot about leadership in non-specific terms. So I talk about the skills of leadership, you know, and I'll kind of talk about what's your vision, or you know, what what are your what are your competencies, or who's your audience, or how clear are you on those. And I, I don't often get an opportunity to talk with someone else who's a leadership expert and just talk about what is leadership and why do we need it so that's where we're going to kick off with the big question karen what is leadership to you well well thank you uh leadership certainly is not a position or a role by default you certainly may have the role that puts you in a position of leadership 
but leadership is something you own, right? And that um, oftentimes is a skin you grow into <laughs> and isn't one that you're born with. So, you know, I don't think most people went to school or had any ambition that I am going to be a leader when I grow up. Um, they probably did something very different and may have fallen into a position of leadership. But again, I don't want to shortchange the audience and just say leader is the word um, manager, director, vice president, executive in it, because it's anything but that, right? You can be an individual contributor in a company and be a leader within your um, colleague group or to a group of subject matter experts or whomever that is, or to people that you're part of, um, you're working, you're volunteering at a nonprofit and you're on the board there. And you might not be in a leadership position in your outside world, but you certainly are when you're giving back. So it can be any number of things, but in my estimation, a leader, uh, one of their top roles is to develop their team. And again, I use that term team kind of generically, um, because they could be um, they could be full-time, part-time employees, they could be independent contractors, they could be, they could have nothing to do with being on in your company, but it's about developing them. And that's one of the big roles of a leader. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's interesting because a lot of times people think that you're a leader if you have that title. <laughs> that's also not true. Yeah. It, it definitely isn't. And in fact, somebody that has the title that isn't a leader, it's problematic, right, for the organization and for the employees that work with them, because they are not, um, they probably are not emulating perhaps the mission, vision, values of the organization, they aren't in support, they themselves might not be engaged. Of course, that's a problem too. And we know that engagement statistics do show, in fact, that leaders in an organization can also be disengaged. And when that happens, that is truly a problem for an organization. Yeah, it really is. And if you've got a disengaged leaders, even by title or not, if you've got if you've got people, so for me, a leader is somebody that others follow, right? In in some aspect, at least. And so, if you've got people that are disengaged, they can very easily take everybody with them. Right, right. And I often think of the analogy of sitting on a fence, right? Because and and in the context of engagement, if somebody's sitting on a fence, they could just as easily go one way as the other. And so on the one way, they are engaged, and that is what we want. But they could just as easily go the other way. And so they are influenced by disengaged employees, whether they be leaders or employees. And so um, that percentage number, whatever that is in the company, you really ought to be looking at that middle number, the fence sitters, the ones who answer not sure or, you know, the three in the Likert scale, whatever that is, you know, they're, they could go either way. And that's the problem. They could go either way. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So um, we, there's a lot of talk right now. And certainly with my corporate clients, uh, they're they're talking a lot about employee engagement every, and employee retention for that matter, um, because there's this you know what's been called the great resignation absolutely. and, and, and they're, they're fearful of it. And, I was just talking to one of my clients who's actually, it's a government agency. So it's, it's not that common for 
those government agencies in in the UK at least for them to have huge levels of intention uh, retention and to have you know really engaged employees and I was asking them you know what is your secret uh, and they said listening to employees like l really listening right you know and I think that's something that it's not taught in schools properly. You know, you're told be quiet, which doesn't suggest listening. Right. It's, it's uh, you know, we're taught in school uh, about, you know, that teachers teach, but there's not a huge amount of emphasis in a lot of schools about what I'm learning. It's more about what you're teaching. Right, right. You and know. then you throw the cultural component on top of that. I've worked with a number of um K-12 schools in Arizona, and um, many, of, some of which are on the Indian reservation. And culturally, it's very interesting because the Native Americans, this one tribe I'm thinking about in this one district, their culture was for the children not to talk. And so you, they would go through the classroom halls and it would be dead quiet. And what school are you familiar with where children are bouncing up and down and on the playground screaming and yelling and laughing and that wasn't happening in their school. And the educators there realized this is something we need to address. And so they did it in a holistic way involving the family. But you, a couple years later, you walk down the halls of the schools and the kids are smiling, laughing, talking to one another. And so they are being communicated with and they are listening and they're being engaged in whatever that conversation's about. And it's not, not coming from a place of fear or being foreign to them because that's now what the school has kind of embodied in the culture of their organization. I think there's there's uh, there's also uh, a, a lack of understanding in some cultures around education that it's forming our beliefs. You know, so what gets rewarded gets reinfor reinforced, and they become right. our affirmations. You know, I'm a, I, I'm a good person if I'm getting A's or if I'm winning or if I'm you know good at, at certain things, and those things get reinforced. And if we weren't good at those things, let's say it's sports or arts or math or whatever it is, then, you know, we, we sort of say, and it's, it's particularly I've noticed it because I'm a Canadian living in the UK and I, I've been an expat uh, for, for a, a, a long time as well in the Middle East. It's, it's very interesting, the language patterns that come out of those things. For example, they'll say, I'm not good at uh, math, for example. Um, that happens a lot here in the UK. I'm not good at it because we have to drop that subject when we're 14 if we're not good at it. You know, that is my that is my total philosophy on creativity and the arts. That is absolutely, you've totally said it because at some point when you're little, the artwork's on the refrigerator and everybody's ooing and eyeing over it and you keep doing it and it feels good and you love it and it keeps going up on the refrigerator. And then at some point in middle school or somewhere, you have to start making some decisions. Am I going to be in band or chorus? Am I going to be in the math club or am I going to be in track? Am I going to do And all of a sudden, it's not an option because you chose something else because you can only choose one, right? And so art fell off. And so the skill atrophies, and we believe you're no longer good at it. And that's totally false. You are. Everybody is creative. You may not be artistic, but you are creative. 
And so uh, we, it's a sense of false belief, I think, that, that we fall into in that way. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I uh, didn't take art. In, I, was a, I was a drama person for my art. Uh, I, I didn't take art because I couldn't draw. And what's interesting is that should have been what would have taught me how to express it through you know, painting or drawing or, or whatever it is, rather than I need to be good at it and then I can be in that class. Right. Um, and it's culturally very different here in the UK because it's based on what mark you can get at the end of a two year program. So there's a two year evaluation at 16 and then at 18 again. Okay. And so if you didn't do well at 16, you do not go on to do it and you only take four things four total subjects in school wow. when you're 16 and it's the ones that you were good at that that you wow. scored highly in and then you you are reassessed again at 18 and then maybe if you're good in it so if you were good at math then you carry on and then you you go to university in it and you end up, and you only take one subject in university i had no idea yeah, so it's a very different thing. So if I said to you that my children were all educated in North America from the age of 16, I'm a horrible parent who sent their children away, but my husband was six and we couldn't go to Canada. And I just couldn't believe in that whole kind of funnel where things are sifted out because my whole working philosophy is about sifting things in, like, you know, expansive. And that's where the creativity comes in. What else? Well, how can you do that or shift skills? And we've been programmed so much to, to believe that, you know, we had to get niche down very early. And who, I mean, really, who knows what they want to do when they're that young and to be funneled and then forced, you know, right. in, into some ideas that are, if nothing else, are in your head. They may actually be playing out, but, oh, I yes. was not aware of that. So my belief is, you know, everybody is good at math, for example. It's, de it's dependent on your application. So if you're going into business, that's a different math than if you're going into engineering. Do you know, they're, right. they're, they're really quite, a, it's what's your application for it. Right. And that would be the same for me about work is what's your application for, for doing that work. Right. Because that's right. part of the engagement, right? And then that how you use it. And um, I mean, there's some courses, for example, we know how in these past few years, everything's online, right? Uh, one course I couldn't imagine taking online in college was statistics. <laughs> I want to know why. I want to know why. Just explain to me why I have to do it this way, and then I'll understand it, and then I can do it. But it wasn't taught that way. And can you imagine if I had to take it in a in a online format, I think I would have failed miserably, um, though I love numbers, right? And so I just wanted to understand the application of it so that I could apply it in whatever way, you know? Right. So, yes. And this brings us kind of the, right back to, to, to leadership and to the kind of the cultural organization or the organizational culture, I should say, of, you know, whether you have your own business, what kind of culture, what, you know, how does that relate to what your vision is? And, and and really having that kind of big picture and, and having that room for play and for smiling and laughing and for having that that opportunity to ask questions like why and and to really be able to engage. 
And if we've been conditioned very differently, then it gets very difficult. And that's where a lot of people will stay in a job because they've always been in that job. That's what they know. And that's kind of it. Right. And I know certainly my parents' generation, that's what you did. Absolutely. You know, my parents didn't do that. They they were, uh, my dad kind of broke the mold and went back to university in his 40s, which is common now, but certainly wasn't then. Uh, you know, he was, he was older than a lot of the professors on the campus, but, <laughs> excuse me, but I think the, um, you know, the, the whole kind of idea about continuous learning and growth mm. and creativity right. is really starting to come around. So it makes me wonder what led to this so-called, you know, um, uh, great resignation. What did people just do you think people just realized I don't want to do this and I haven't for a long time? Right. Well, I think it certainly was an epiphany for a lot of people for a lot of different reasons. Um, one that certainly uh, the, the data certainly suggests is that a lot of companies during these last few years, their business has changed. Either they've closed the door, they've, um, they've let go a number of people, the, the business models changed, the work has changed. But for those that are left, now they're doing the work of more than themselves, but they're doing work of somebody else who sat next to them who's no longer here. So there's certainly one aspect that is the workload. And that is that they're, they're trying to do what they've done, always done, but now they're trying to do more of it in the same amount of time. And then you add the remote workforce on top of it. And for so many years, speaking of cultural, um, the, the the concept from the management team was I need to see your eyeballs. And so you need to be sitting in a seat. And now, and now COVID hits and everything is remote. And it shows that very easily exempt work as well as perhaps non-exempt work um, can be done remotely. And so that has to be a change from the leader's position of, well, I'm not going to have my thumb on them. I have to trust that they're doing the work. Um, and so uh, with that then came all the personal dynamics of now I have schooling issues with the kids. I have daycare issues. I have now, I, you know, now I'm not, my car isn't leaving the garage, but now they are also realizing that they have a voice in what is going on. And because the hiring statistics are showing that, um, there, I think it's what, 6.3 million openings, uh, this year that the that that current statistic for March, but it's the highest. I mean, it's the highest. And and so there are more people than there are jobs. And so people can be picky, right? I said that the wrong way. There are more jobs than there are pick, people. And so people can be picky, right? And they're saying, I really don't want to work in that environment. I don't want to work for that kind of leader. I don't want, I don't want, I don't want, or if I'm here now I want. And so they have their voice is coming out more and um, companies are finding that they have to step up their game to attract and or retain the people that, um, that, that are either with the company or interested in being with the company. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that involves a huge culture shift. If people are moving away from the culture, it's, right. it's, it's quite different if they're moving away from practicalities or, you know, they, they don't want to be based in a big city anymore, or they've, you know, right. their circumstances right. changed. But, but I would hope that it's a wake up call for a lot of, you know, 
big leaders to being questioning the culture and what's really going on and not just right. filling back, filling those spaces. Exactly. Because, I mean, if nothing else, maybe those that work isn't the work anymore. Right. And so what is the work now? And do our employees have those skill sets or are we in a position that we really need to retain retrain to retain um, our our team of people. And so um, morale is a big part of employee engagement. And it's a soft kind of one of those things, you know, that a lot of leaders would say, oh, that's kind of soft stuff. I don't know. You know, that's kind of the ooky stuff that you can't give me data on. But when you say that sales increase, customer satisfaction increases, um, injuries, pilferage decrease, you know, all of these metrics that companies do actually monitor, they are tied to employee engagement. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Which brings me to sort of small businesses, because some, some people in the great resignation uh, started their own businesses or, you know, started a partnership with others. And, you know, then they'd hire on, you know, suppliers such as a, a virtual assistant or, mm -hmm. you know, copywriter or, or whatever it is. And a lot of them started it without the, the proper uh, grounding of what's the vision, right. what's my brand about, what's the tone of voice of my brand and, and, and the look and feel of my brand. And, 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 they'll, and they'll hire people to do work for them, which they pay for. Without that, without that training, without that kind of connection to it. Right. The solopreneur who obviously creates a business because they have a passion for something, whatever that passion is, and they do it for a while and it's, they start having success and all of a sudden they realize they need to do more, whatever more is. More could be to grow sales or more could be to do something they're not good at, right? So you might hire that VA to do the social media side. You might hire that VA to do the financial side. You might, do, you know, whatever it is. But now all of a sudden you've got one, two, three independent contractors working for you. And to your point, I don't know what being a leader of this company looks like. I know what I love to do and I want to continue doing what I love to do. But often to grow your business, that's when you need to stop doing the things you need to do, hire somebody who is better skilled at that portion, and then do the leadership work, which is which is work, which includes that vision. Where are we, where are we going? What do I want to do? Um, are we in the right markets? All of those questions. And those things um, are as much a part of the work I do, because I mean, there are just so many solopreneurs, right? I mean, and they don't oftentimes come to the party with those skills inherently, just because they've never needed to use them, been asked to use them, been trained to use them, whatever. Exactly. So what would you suggest for, for them? Because we don't tend, I mean, maybe, maybe there is a market, maybe I'm just completely ignorant to it. We don't, we, we often don't tend to, to tailor our leadership to those solopreneur, solopreneurs, you know, we, we right. often, we often kind of look at, oh, well, we'll talk to larger businesses, you know, even, even small, medium businesses. Um, and, and, I wonder what the way forward is for getting those solopreneurs who are ultimately hoping to grow. Right, right. And if for some reason they do without those skills, 
they're going to need to develop those skills. So right. what, do, what would you say that that the people in that position, you know, starting off and, and aiming to grow or or already maybe growing and want to grow bigger, right. Right. what would you suggest that they be focusing on? Well, first of all, you know, they've got to want to, right? And so the fact that they are having success being a solopreneur and or, you know, expanding to a point, they are doing the work they enjoy, most likely, yes. right? And so in order to grow, they have to put on a different hat because they have to put on a hat called leadership, which involves all the strategic thinking, all of the components that, again, like we said, they've never perhaps been asked to do, trained to do, whatever. And so I think the first challenge I find is having it resonate, the need resonate with that solopreneur entrepreneur because they, they're having success in what they're doing. They'd like more success, but it's easy just to keep doing what they're doing and they'll continue down this path. But having, but having the light bulb go off and say, it could be something else and I'm open to that something else. What could that something else look like? Yeah, that's 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 wonderful. And I think, you know, if, if you don't know that and you are in that position and listening to this, I would say it's certainly worth investigating mentors who have been there and done that. Right, right. Because there's an awful lot of people, and this is my soapbox, there's an awful lot of people out there calling themselves coaches and they will coach you, <laughs> not, but they will certainly have a program for you that you can be sheep dipped into on how to make 10K a month or how to, you know, whatever, how to reach 100,000 people with a post. And, and the people who are successful in that are the ones who are selling that stuff. Uh, and they'll sell it as a coaching kind of, let me coach you in how to be a leader. But I, I think in, in what we're talking about here is really more about mentorship, right? If not training. Yeah. And that's when I, the, the way I kind of focus it um, for the clients I'm working with is to look at the employee life cycle. Mm. And so every place in that, it, uh, let's start with a position opens or a position opens because somebody left or a position opens because of growth. You start at that, that's the beginning of the employee life cycle that you hire somebody, you onboard them, you develop them, you coach them, you grow them, and all through the performance management, and at some point they're going to leave, right? I mean, unlike we were just saying, the day of our parents staying at a job for 40 plus years, that doesn't happen anymore. And so there are um, skills to be learned at each one of those steps along the way to be a really great leader. And you might, you you were that employee who was on the other side of the coin at some point in your life, whether it was working at fast food restaurant when you were 16 or, you know, but you've seen the other side of the coin at some point from the employee's perspective and from an adult learning perspective, you also have, you have, you have that experience. And so you can start to correlate that experience to this new thing, this new part of leadership development that we're talking about. Um, and that's certainly a difference between adults, how adults learn and children learn, right? I have experiences. And so I can connect those dots and I can accept them more 
And certainly for somebody who sees that and is willing to go there, that is a huge thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. So how do you help your clients, Karen? What, what does your work look like? Right. Well, I, um, I have a, a, right now I'm working on a coaching model where it's an online process that I do literally go through the stages of the employee life cycle as a per week kind of call and or obviously content that's available and tools and job aids and whatever. Um, because I think so many times we want to walk the adult learner again, that leader wants to walk away to be able to apply whatever that is, not just today, because I need it today, but tomorrow, because I know I'm going to need it tomorrow. It, I don't know why I'm going to need it tomorrow. Maybe I don't know for whom I'm going to need it tomorrow, but it's a skill I need. And so if I can walk away with a set of tools for each of those steps along the process, I inherently will be able to do my work better, not just today, but for the rest of your life, because these are tools that, um, you know, I'm, I'm working with a, a client now that um, is part of a national organization that was, the person was transferred to a different location and inherited the leadership team, right? And so he's now trying to figure out Mm, this wasn't like the last place I was at. Same company, different location, but thing, same roles, but it doesn't feel the same. And people, it's different. So what's different about it? And um, as we're talking about the retreat that, that we're scheduling for this individual to work with, with his leadership team, um, I said, you know, I'm big on tools, giving away the process and the tools because I said, okay, well, we'll take something, we'll brainstorm a process, but it's as much the brainstorming of the process as it is the tools you learn, you're going to use to go along with it because you can then use all of those tools in the brainstorming process tomorrow for something totally different totally different can of worms, totally different issue. You can use it next year, next decade. But if you learn those skills, you just become a better leader. So it isn't, you know, I, I try not to get caught up in the lingo of HR and the terms we use and the, you know, all of that stuff, but just try to be real with what it is. Um, for example, employee engagement is not a term that all leaders really even understand. They're like, do you, what it, why do you, why do you keep using that term? And I'm, and I started to think it isn't a term that many small business owners are even aware of. And so it's just not resonating at all. And so you have to step back and say, well, what is that really all about? And put it in words that make sense to the audience. So, um, I don't know where I went with that, but I think I went around the block on that answer. <laughs> so, so I mean, toolkit is wonderful. Uh, skills are practiced ability. In, yes. in my mind, that's a, a simple definition. Uh, and, you know, if we come right back to the beginning of the conversation with that employee engagement, in other words, motivation, that has to be there, right? That, that right. absolutely has to be there. Right. Because you can have all the skills and tools, but if you employ them wrong, it's like taking a hammer and trying to fix your drains. I right. know nothing about it, but I'm imagining there's no hammer involved. Right. You know, <laughs> <laughs> but it's that, right? It's, 
it is. It's kind of like, do you want to be doing it? Are you the right person to be doing it? Because sometimes it's about, you know, getting getting help for others or getting help for your business that isn't you doing it all. Right. You know, it's not a one man band kind of thing. Right. What's your favorite tool in in the in the leadership toolbox, Karen? You know, I think I, I'm going to throw the term out there and then I'll explain it a bit. Okay. But I think situational leadership is probably one of the most important things because um, let's face it, you have worked in an organization where somebody is considered the go-to person. Okay, I can just throw that on so-and-so's desk and they'll get it done. And they talk about it as if that person knows everything about everything. And they're always the go-to person for everything. But the reality is they're the go-to person for a specific task. They may be that go-to person for a number of different tasks, but based on their skill level and that situation, they are in fact the that the right person. And so the level of um, communication, the level of directness, the level of oversight that you apply to that go-to person for that task is very different than the person who has never opened up Excel and needs to complete a spreadsheet and they're going, what button do I hit, right? And so it may very well be that that person is the right person to do the task because you need them to grow through the continuum. Right. And so you got to start somewhere. I mean, we didn't all know how to ride a bike when we started riding a bike, right? And so we have to go from not knowing anything about anything to doing it and more hands-on, more from your leader to starting to get comfortable with it able to ask questions, have someone be available to you, to the next step of saying, I got this. I think I can do it myself. Will you just hang out there in the wings if I have a question? To throwing it over your shoulder and say, getting it done by Friday, okay? And you're out the door by the time you've already asked the person to do it, right? So I, I think that the whole concept of situational leadership is one that could be a huge aha for leaders because they don't see it as a situation, a task. They see it as a person. And that person is not at that level for everything at all time, everywhere, forever. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. No, I think I think I think it's absolutely right. And and the approach to that situation, that task, who it is that's doing it, what their level of experience is, how difficult that is, there's all of those things mean right. that that the approach is different for different people. Right, right. Um, but I think uh, a, a lot of times leaders will, within that framework, will fail to see that they're not the ideal person too. Right. Like I right. want to be the go to person because I'm the manager, leader, whatever, CEO, whatever, you know, and and, you know, certainly if you're in a big organization, as you rise to the ranks, you quickly realize that you can't do that. Right. It's, it, you're, you're enabling others. You're right. in, in, enabling the tools to be there or the the, the skills to be developed. Right. Uh, but you're not the one doing that right. anymore. Right. Can I can I tie this into confidence for a minute? Yes. So. I think, and I can't really place my thumb on when this happened in my career, but give me a stage. I mean, I was in theater. I was like 
give me give me a stage, give me a microphone, give me a flip chart and paper. I can put me in front of hundreds or thousands. I'm fine, right? Yeah. And it, it often that meant Karen leads the show. Karen is in charge. Karen does. At some point in my life, I said, I don't need that anymore. I mean, I don't need to be that grand poobah. I don't need to um, to hold all those cards. I would rather develop other people to do that same thing. And so I think that was a confidence thing that I matured into at a place that said, this isn't about me holding all the cards. It's about me developing others so that they can do it themselves. Yeah. And um, and so I think that, again, I don't know when that happened exactly. Um, I can't place it, but that's, that's, I think, a big thing that a lot of us go through at some point. I mean, whether we're, you know, a mastered, you know, gymnast who's trying to teach the next child or whether it's the, the person who has, you know, the senior in their title, whatever it is, they don't, we don't always need to do all of it anymore. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and the beautiful thing is, is that it frees you up. And maybe this is why people hold on to it because it, you know, it, it's quite scary to think, well, there are other things that I would have to do if I enable you to do it. And now you're running the stage, then what will I do? Well, First of all, ideally, you make yourself redundant so that you can go on and develop other skills and, and you know, grow the business in other ways or move on to other parts and other challenges. And sometimes that is a bit of a comfort zone, you know, kind of I'm the person for that. Right. So I hang on to that. The right. danger of that, if you if you are running a business like that, is you end up with people having this knowledge is power thing where I hang on because I'm the one that does the stage and now Karen's here and she wants to do this. You know, it's that, it's, it's that, it's that whole piece of what, who am I or what would I be if I didn't right. do that? Right. And it's quite scary for me to go and do something else. So I'd rather stay in my comfort zone. Yeah. And, and I get it. I, I get it. And, and many people do, many people do. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the things about being a solopreneur or starting an online business, whether even if you do that with, you know, with a group, uh, uh, it's a very different kettle of fish, right? Because it's no longer the same as, you know, being face to face, you know, inside of the business and, you know, sitting around a table and so on. It's a very different kettle of fish. Because right. you're regulated by various things, all the social media platforms let you do things or don't, and you know all kinds of technologies involved that you have no control over. And so if, if you if you feel like a control freak, as I was before I started an online business, because I had my my face to face business for 26 years or 25 years, I guess before I started online, and then and then it was like I thought I knew what I was doing, and I don't. <laughs> yeah. I just don't. Because there's so many other things. It's a very quick cure for um, for for the control freak in me. But it was also about needing to be vulnerable. And I hadn't needed oh. to be vulnerable for a long time because I knew what I was doing in my arena. Right. right. Well, and I think uh, for those of us who are lifelong learners that love to learn, I love the process of learning as much as I do learning, right? 
And so sometimes it's not even about the stuff. It's about that I'm doing something new and growing. Um, and so that doesn't that doesn't resonate with everybody. But um, that that piece of you that doesn't want to give it up and that doesn't want to try something new, that's a very real thing. That's yeah. a very real thing for people. Yeah. But it's also about it's also quite indicative of of the leadership uh, in in whatever business, whatever size business is in that bit about, you know, allowing, encouraging failure. Yeah. Um, and, and failure is just this terrible word that we mustn't do because it's punitive. And, right. you know, I think I, I hope that it's changing. I see I see corners and pockets where that's changing i still do see somewhere that's not really tolerated you should have known better and you know it's kind of well i can't change the past now um but i but i think it's it, certainly in terms of talking about engagement with employees you better be ready for them to try something and it not to work out right. and to allow that space because that's part of learning right i love that vulnerability and it's kind of a conundrum when you think about it. if you'd like to learn and you want to grow, then you have to be vulnerable <laughs> and you have to accept that it's not going to be right the first time and that you're opening yourself up perhaps to criticism or outsider's perspective on things. And it's, it is what it is. It is what it is. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's come back to stages and arenas then, because you mentioned that you have been on stage. I did. What were you doing on stage? Uh, I, you know, when that in that time where you had to make decisions in your schooling, I also, we called it choir, which included a very robust theater program. Um, so probably the largest one I did is I was in Hello Dolly as Minnie Faye. Oh. And so um, it was a very quirky role and it um, was probably good that I wasn't the best singer because it was okay because it was Minnie Faye and she was Dolly's sort of sidekick and kind of odd. And, um, but yeah, you know, I mean, it's the kind of thing where you, where you open stage, you know, the second act by yourself in front of the closed curtain light shining on you in front of the whole, you know, whole auditorium of thousands of people. So um, I was young enough and naive enough to not be worried about it, you know, and it was like, oh, this is cool. Let me, uh, this is cool. Love this. So um, it's, it's being, I, I don't know how I got there, but I think it was, it was just about being, me being having the confidence to even try out for it for how whatever was to come so it was great it was great fun and when was the last time you did something that i'm gonna say naive and vulnerable in your adult life when what was the last thing you did like that um well i think from a theater perspective um a number of years, no, not a number of years ago, some years ago, our um, church did a passion play. And so I was Mary Magdalene in that yeah, for two years. And so again, you know, not just the script, it's, but it's about interacting. It's about being in front of a lot of people that you know, um, that and sometimes it's much easier to be in front of people you don't know, because, you know, 
who are they? I don't know. Or the light's so blinding you can't see anybody, and that's okay too. Um, but that was, I mean, so from a theater perspective, I would I would say that. From a, um, a personal perspective, I would say that <clears throat> as I'm um, starting my coaching business and tried to, to figure out the name that I was going to have for my business, and I really thought, how am I going to be authentic and me and have that resonate all the time with me? And so I came up with the company name of Karen Lou Creates, which the creates part is because that's what I do. I create. I'm an artist. I create things. I create processes. I create leaders. I create. I love to use my hands and create. The Karen Lou is... Um, my immediate family are the only ones, my sisters and my mom, dad, were the only ones that ever called me Karen Lou. And I thought, you know, that's me. That's the me that I was when I was a little kid. That's the me that I was when I was that naive growing up years of, yeah, I'll do it. Who knows what I'll do? I'll do it. Sure. And I wanted to capture that again. I wanted to um, I wanted to live in that moment where I could be Karen Lou doing what I do. And um, and so that was a very personal decision for me to make. And it probably makes no sense to anybody who is, you know, is seeing it. But it's my reminder on a daily basis that that's who I am and what I do. I love that. I absolutely love that. I think that's I think that's really beautiful. I I had never used my middle name, um, and now I use Heather Jean is my is my real name, and a lot of people in my world only know me by my stage name, um, which has had various forms, but always had Helen in it, and and it it was very strange for me saying my name so it's interesting that we you know we're using our names but in it, it, for me the experience was this is a brand new person i was never heather jane so it's interesting that you that you've gone that way so if you were creating a cabaret act for yourself now what would you do i would um i am <laughs> I'm very hesitant about um, being, um, my mind just went blank on the term. Um, let me say it a different way. I love being on stage and not knowing exactly what's going to happen. So that contemporaneous way of doing something is um, very engaging and very interesting to me. Um, and like I said, I love doing with people that I don't know. So to me, it would be a, a great opportunity to kind of, um, as long as I'm not singing, because that's that really isn't a good thing anymore. <laughs> that really isn't a good thing anymore. I've learned that with my hearing loss, that I can't hear me. I, I don't hear me in my head when I sing the way I sound, I think, because you can't hear yourself. But that's my... <laughs> impression. So um, I would involve people that I don't know in something that's rather contemporaneous. Mm -hmm. I, I, I deeply get that because I'm a paid performer, but I don't, I don't follow choreo well. Uh, I don't, I'm not very good with rhythm. 
uh, I use I use my body and my movements to express a, a story or a narrative or a, a feeling or whatever it is. Um, but I'm I'm pretty much other than other than hitting certain marks to to be able to tell the story. I I freestyle. And I love that. And people are horrified when they find that out. If I'm doing something aerial, I do have things mapped out because you need to. But you also Gosh. have to be able to have that balance of having uh, time to freestyle. Because if you miss a move, you've got to get into it a different way. You're already freestyling. And sometimes that continues for the rest of the act. So right. I, I, I really, you know, kind of understand that. I mean, you're a creative person anyway because your outlet is in oil is oil painting right it is it is yeah yeah so for me that is a stage in itself right if if you're creating something and then putting that out there and sharing that with people that's come from inside of you right. and it's an expression right right in fact right now I'm taking an online course on bold painting and um it's very different I mean, like hair is not brown or blonde, it's purple and it's green and faces are not like skin colors there. You know, it's about the shadow and the contrast and the, it, and so I get it. And it's also about big strokes and just like, so it's very different than what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And I'm still gaining comfort in it, but I, I uh, and I'm not loose enough yet in it. I, I know what I do and I know what I do well. And I know I love my palette knife and I know I like putting in detail in a way that like I look at other artists and say I couldn't do that. But with this bold painting, we're talking bold colors, bold strokes, bold. It's definitely a change. It's definitely a change. I love that. Two two of my two of my children when they were in school had uh, the same art teacher and they used to give a risk taker of the week. I love that. Yeah. And I've I've never forgotten that because it means that you did something. You maybe made a bold stripe across something to see what would happen if because you felt inspired to do that. Right. And there's always ways around it if you didn't like that or you know you can you can add other things to it or right. you know make changes to it. But I've always remembered that that is such an important part of expression. You know, it is it, it makes us feel alive. It does. It absolutely does. And that's where that's where for me the momentum for confidence comes from. That's where that's where the whole idea of confidence through cabaret is. It's an analogy about stepping into your spotlight and showing up and being unapologetic and being big and bold and taking up space and 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 see what happens. And I have seen and been uh, in many cabaret acts where things have gone horribly wrong. And, you know, particularly if we are uh, changing costumes or stripping costumes away, there's always some sort of malfunction. <laughs> <laughs> always. You know, the, the last time I was formed, I had a corset. I, it wouldn't undo. And I thought, what am I going to do? It doesn't rip because they're heavy duty. Uh, and I, and I thought, okay, well, I'm just going to keep this on. And then it came off it, it like, it, I managed to get it to work, but if we panic and go, oh no, then it, it takes the whole, it takes us out of that whole illusion and that creative moment. Right. So risk taker of the week is a thing. You know I love I mean? it. Yeah. So I love that for you because that boldness is, you know, it's it. And, and even, uh, 
um, I did a masterclass on the on our website. We have a members website, confidencethroughcabaret.com. And we did one uh, with uh, a, a doctor of psychology who was uh, talking about, well, her expertise was in uh, domestic domestic violence was her, oh. her whole thing. And we, we did, she was talking about hopefulness. That's the masterclass and finding hope in our creativity. And we were coloring while we were filming it. And I realized I have rules. I color within the lines. But we're back to this education thing at the beginning now. I, you know, uh, leaves are green and flowers are certain colors. And I, and I had all these rules in my head. And yet that's not at all how I perform. I usually have various colors in my hair and everything is upside down and, you know, quite drag-like. And, and it's interesting because I, I, I would love to hear your take on this. I compartmentalize that for the stage, but when I'm coloring or something else, I have these other rules and I don't, I don't seem to transfer it across to living bold. Right, right. Well, I, I would say that's probably pretty typical in a lot of ways, right? Because we do tend to think about I'm doing this and that's not creative work or I'm doing the creative work that has nothing to do with leadership or having to do with coaching or, you know, and, and in fact, as I was talking to a friend of mine who put me in touch with this gentleman that I was referring to earlier, she asked me if I was doing any creativity aspect to the work that I was going to be doing with them. Cause she said, Karen, you know, like, that's what you are like, build that in. <laughs> and it was like, uh hello <laughs> you know and so i and, and that's like the next course that's sitting on my docket to do it's just i haven't done it yet right but she's saying put them together and do it that way right like, now wouldn't that be novel right yeah. yeah and what you're learning in your in your in your broad strokes and and you know risk or or, or moving into a different way of of painting is completely transferable to anywhere you want it to be. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's one of the things I learned from cabaret was, you know, I, I, I wear nine inch heels to perform in and no I way. feel powerful and fierce. And, and yet I don't, I, I, and this took me a while to find it took, like, I'm talking a few years to realize I don't need to have those, those shoes on to feel that same power. Wow. Right. And so that's know, I, I think sometimes kids are a whole lot better than that than we are. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So so what what would your stage name be? I'm curious now after this discussion. Now I've got to rethink kind of this this idea. Um oh I'm changing I'm changing things up here. I would say um Oh, I'm I'm going all over the board now. I wish I had 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 this conversation before I had decided what I was going to answer here. Uh, oh, oh gosh, you have got me. I knew I should have like here figured this out before this conversation. Before this conversation, I should have settled on something. Um, yeah, and you knew this question was coming as well. I love this. Okay, I so know. Here we are. You're about to step onto your stage to perform. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. What one prop would you want with you on the stage? Maybe that will help. I would have a book. Okay. 
Why? Because I I love words. I love words. And um, to me, the book is just a um, an analogy of options and an analogy of a story and the analogy of there's a beginning and there's somewhere in the middle and there might be an end at some point. But what does that look like? I have no clue whatsoever. And so the idea of it being a book, it isn't about it being a specific book. It's about turning the page, moving on, doing something different. Tomorrow is always, it looks different. It looks different. And so um, that to me would would just be a very um, comfortable and natural thing. Okay. And what are you doing on your stage with your book? I am, um, I'm probably telling stories, right? And every page is a different beginning, perhaps. And so I would see people bring, coming up on stage to fill in the blanks, right? To kind of continue the conversation. Um, you know, everybody remembers the childhood game of telephone and, you know, somebody starts a sentence and then you continue it and then somebody else adds a word. But that same sort of concept, but growing it and having it be an evolution of people and ideas because it'll end up like nothing I could have possibly possibly <laughs> dreamed of in my wildest dreams amazing amazing okay so now let's come back to and what is your stage name um Oh, now I have a really, you have gotten, why did I go down this path one way before the call thinking I was going to go one path and now I don't want to go that way. So, um, it's, fair. it's going to be, um, um You know, I'm thinking like clearly, clearly, you know, I wanted to say initially clearly Karen because I see through things. Right. I see, I see, but what I see looks different. And so I think with people among among me on the stage, we, whatever it is we're doing becomes more clear as right. we progress through it. Right. But I am not tied to it being Karen, but I like the onomatopoeia of the, the reference of that, but it doesn't have to be that. Is there something more strong coming through for you? Mm. As in, as in more, uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't want to put words into your mouth, but something more, more in, in control or bigger, or is it something more gentle or soft or? Right. Um, I am trying not to do control at all in in my world because yeah. I I do not want that, right? Yeah. And so to me, control means there is a way and a process to do things and I must follow yeah. that yeah. process, right? Yeah. And as a, as a risk taker, I do things, I 
do things differently than perhaps others would, and I'm okay with that. So, um, which is kind of funny from an HR perspective, because you're supposed to follow the rules and all that stuff. And so I'd be the one that would say, well, we could do that. Let's, you know, we could do that. So um, I absolutely do not um, want that kind of focus. So it's that notion of the unexplained and the unexpected and the, 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 the newness of something that I don't know. Um, which is again very much in in line with my um, innate desire to learn, but it also totally goes back to that vulnerability piece, right? Because I don't know what that's going to look like. So um, this teaches me to not come in with a preconceived idea of what I was going to say for this um, aspect. It's a lot about the energy that we bring right? It's a lot about what comes up for us when yeah. we get into that conversation and that, oh, I've got something happening here. I don't know. Oh. Is that me? Sorry. I don't, I don't know what, no, there was something happening on mine as well. But anyway, uh, so by the way, I don't worry about technology, but it is, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because there are energies that come up and we yes. need to connect to those, which is where my question is going with those things. Right. So, <clears throat> excuse me, thank you for your, for your honest vulnerability to, to, you know, find that authentic energy right. that comes up right. because that's important for us to right. acknowledge. Right. But you know, for the rest of the day, I am going to be thinking about this, right? <laughs> I, expect a message. I expect a message. I think sometimes it's, it, we can overthink it and make something clever, right? but it should just kind of come up and all of a sudden you'll right. know it. Right. I will enjoy hearing what that is. Karen, mm. I could have this conversation all day with you. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't even scratched the surface. We could do days just on leadership. That's right. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much for. Oh, it's for my pleasure. Where, where can people find you? Well, you can always find me, KarenLewCreates.com, certainly. I am LinkedIn, and I am actually Karen Loftus. At, you know, on the LinkedIn. So that's pretty easy. Um, and I could go on with Facebook and other stuff, but those are two good ones. Those are two okay. good ones. Yeah. Nice. If you're listening to this on podcast, Loftus is L-O-F-T-U-S. That's right. Yes. Because sometimes on podcasts, I can't quite hear it. And then I'm like, what was that again? So yeah. I will make sure that's all in the show notes as well Thank as you. your, um, your socials details. So people okay. can find you and get in touch. Great. It's a real pleasure to have had this time with you. Thank you for sharing so much with us. Oh, it was it really, it was a joy. And it, uh, I love speaking with somebody who knows my language and talks kind of and has some of those same passions. And so it was really a great honor. So thank you. Thank you so much. So we are Confidence Through Cabaret on all of the socials. Uh, so you will find us literally everywhere as Confidence Through Cabaret. I'm also Heather Jean on LinkedIn since we're talking about LinkedIn. I don't normally talk about that because I'm usually talking on LinkedIn about my corporate business, which is Attitudes Training. Uh, but I'll throw that in there because we're going to find Karen on LinkedIn as well. Uh, so Confidence Through Cabaret on all of the socials, obviously on YouTube as well uh, and, and the podcast podcast uh and on uh twitter we are at ybywys and on clubhouse we are at heather ybywys 
I have no idea if that just cut out or not. Somebody is trying desperately to get hold of me and they found my computer. So I don't know. We're just going to go with the technology. Let me tell you what YB, YWYS stands for. Those are six lovely letters that stand for it is your body and it is your world and it is your stage. Take up space and own it unapologetically. Thank you so much, Karen. I, I, I don't want to say goodbye, but we will for now. Thank you so much. Such a thank joy. You. And thank you all for being here and for listening and for being part of the Confidence Through Cabaret family. Uh, we will see you again next week with a new episode. Uh, do get in touch with Karen. Uh, oh, there we go. I don't know what's going on, but my computer's going crazy. So I'm going to say goodbye once and for all. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you again. <laughs>